0: Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Welcome aboard. With later in the show, talk all about bagel, because it's the hundredth anniversary of um, an establishment in Montreal called Fairmont Bagel. Those of you who are in Montreal know all about it, and it's quite something to be making this specialty for a hundred years. And those of you who are not from Montreal are going to learn quite a bit about the bagel. But first, on to other things. February 17, 1923, marked one of the most important dates in the history of archeology. span In the presence of about 20 witnesses, archeologist Howard Carter unsealed an intact ancient Egyptian tomb that he had discovered in the Valley of the Kings three months earlier. And jaws just dropped as the light of the lanterns revealed a solid gold coffin. Inside was the mummy of the boy king, Tutankhamen, adorned with the magnificent gold mask that has since become famous around the world. And those of you who were in Montreal in 1967, during Expo 67, you'll remember the Egyptian pavilion featured items from the Tutankhamun tomb. You had to stand in line for about four hours to see them, but it was worth it. There were about 5,000 other items also found in the tomb, including food, wine, archery bows, and fresh linen underwear, because I guess it would not be fitting for the spirit of royalty to appear in the Hall of Judgment, hungry, thirsty, and sporting dirty underwear. It was in that Hall of Judgment that Osiris, the god of afterlife, lord of the dead, master of rebirth, would assess the purity of a person's heart. The Egyptians believed that the heart, not the brain, was the essence of a person, and that its purity reflected lifetime deeds. If the heart was judged to be pure, the spirit was allowed to enter into immortal paradise. If not, the heart was forfeited to Amit, the goddess who was the devourer of the dead and was ready to swallow the tainted heart, condemning the soul to a second death from which there was no escape. The Egyptians did not think that the body would literally come back to life. After all, There was plenty of evidence that this did not happen. The curse of mummies wandering around with outstretched arms ready to torment the living was a creation of 20th century filmmakers. What the Egyptians did believe was that the spirit had to regularly return to the body for sustenance, hence the importance of preserving the corpse through mummification. Since the home of the spirit was the heart, it was preserved, and replaced in the body cavity. The unimportant brain was removed with special tools through the nose and it was just discarded. A variety of amulets, basically good luck charms, that were blessed by priests with special incantations to offer protection against evil and unhappiness, were often included with the mummy. The most widely used amulets were replicas of scarab beetles, now commonly referred to as dung beetles. To the ancient Egyptians, these insects were sacred because of their practice of collecting dung and rolling it into a ball. This seemed akin to the ritual followed by Kepri, the god who was believed to roll the sun across the sky every day, just like a dung beetle rolls dung. Indeed. Kepri was often represented as a scarab-headed man. The scarab was also seen as a symbol of rebirth and regeneration, since it lays its eggs in the ball of dung from which its offspring eventually emerge. Scarab replicas were carved out of stone or ivory, or formulated from an early form of ceramic made by mixing sand or crushed quartz with sodium carbonate, that's soda in common language, and calcium oxide or lime. When fired at a high temperature, this mixture vitrifies, that is, it develops a glaze. And the glaze is is shiny, and its color depends on some mineral salts that are added. Usually it was blue or green, and that came about by the addition of some copper compounds to the mix. Scarabs were worn as necklaces. They were placed around the home, and were also commonly placed on the chest of a deceased person, just over the heart. Why? To prevent any sins that had been accumulated in life from being released when Osiris weighed the heart for purity. Tutankhamen had a large scarab carved out of stone on his chest. Just how the purity of Tutankhamen's heart may have been judged, we of course will never know. Aside from some minor restorations of temples, he does not seem to have accomplished much in his young life. But then again, he was only on the throne for nine of his 17 years. On the other hand, there is no evidence that he would have done anything to defile the purity of his heart. While he didn't do much in life, in death, Tutankhamen has become probably the most famous of the pharaohs. This is due partially to the golden mask that has been exhibited and admired around the world, as well as the supposed curse that was inflicted on all who tampered with his tomb. That curse, basically an invention of newspapers seeking publicity, supposedly resulted in the premature death of people who were in any way associated with the opening of the tomb. The fact is that of the 58 people who were present when the tomb and the sarcophagus were opened, only eight died within a dozen years. Howard Carter, who was the lead explorer, died of lymphoma, 1939, age of 64. So he outlived the opening of the tomb by some 17 years. The last survivors included Lady Evelyn Herbert, uh, who was Lord Carnarvon's daughter. Lord Carnarvon uh, funded the whole expedition. And uh, she was one of the first people to enter the tomb after discovery in 1922. And she lived for a further 57 years, dying in 1980. American archaeologist J.O. Kinneman, who died in 1961, 39 years after the event, was also one of the leading explorers. There was nothing unusual about these deaths. There was no Pharaoh's curse. The uh, uh, golden mask uh, is now permanently located in a museum in in Cairo, together with the other artifacts from from the tomb, the the gold coffin, etc. But uh, there are traveling exhibits, and sometimes it is taken from that museum and is displayed around the world. And in fact, there's a traveling exhibit right now. Uh, I think it, uh, it started out in Los Angeles and then went to Paris, and it's now traveling around Europe. And if any of you ever get a chance of seeing this exhibit, make sure that you do so. Uh, there are many other Egyptian artifact exhibits, of course. Mummies, the British Library has a magnificent collection. And some of that is now on loan to the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts. And this is also a fantastic exhibit. If you're in Montreal, you must go and see it. You will see seven mummies together with numerous artifacts uh, from uh, ancient um, Egypt. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back chatting with Rhonda and Irvin Schlafman, and we're gonna talk bagel. Life's everyday
1: mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800.
0: Those of you who listen to us in Montreal do not need any introduction to bagels. But of course, we have listeners around the world, as far away as New Zealand, Australia, England. So we have to make them aware of the fact that Montreal is the Mecca of bageldom. In fact, it really was here that bagels were first introduced to North America. And more specifically, it was uh, a gentleman by the name of Schlafmann who introduced it. And Isidore Schlafman is, is uh, what can I tell you? He's, he's uh, a Montreal landmark, and his family has kept the business going now for a 100 years. Fairmont Bakery is celebrating its 100th anniversary. And today we're going to talk bagel. And uh, I have online uh, Erwin and Rhonda Schlafman who are the grandchildren of the founder of... Uh, the bagel empire that has come to be known as fairmont bagel in montreal so welcome to the show guys
1: thank you thank you
0: A 100 years there's a lot of bagels that have been baked
1: everybody's yeah. so concerned with numbers <laughs> how many bagels
0: how many how many do you produce a day
1: you no know, what's more important is how good are they
0: <laughs> well you don't have to convince me i know i know that they're good everyone in montreal knows that they're good But just to to give people some perspective of numbers, how many do you produce a day?
2: We would say approximately 1,000 dozen a day. And the reason it's approximate is because they're rolled by hand. They're baked in the oven with firewood. So sometimes the oven might be hotter, so we would bake faster. Sometimes the oven would be cooler, so we'd maybe bake a little bit slower. So it's really an approximation.
0: Now, for those uh, few people out there who might not know what a bagel is, what is it?
1: Well, a bagel is a certain type of flour that has a uh, certain type of ingredients mixed into it, like eggs and honey and yeast and malt flour. And the type of flour that we would use is uh, a high, the highest protein flour possible. And uh, we mix all those ingredients together, put the slab of dough on the table, and then roll the bagel one by one by hand, cook them in our honey water, and then seed them and bake them in the wood-fired oven.
0: Now, it is the uh, cooking in the honey water that really makes the, the difference. I mean, that's the difference between, uh, let's say, a Vienna. So well, they're
2: actually boiled in the honey water, sort of like how you would boil pasta. So the bagels mm. are actually cooked when they're boiled. And then the seeding and the baking is the final step to make them crunchy and more like a bread-type product.
0: Now, of course, uh, the concept of the bagel has spread out from Montreal and there are many other cities that make it. And I can tell you that whenever I have posted anything on my Facebook page about uh, Montreal bagel uh, versus the New York bagel, it elicits more commentary than anything else. I mean, I I get a lot of comments, of course, when I attack Trump, but but, uh, nothing like uh, when I attack New York bagel, which uh, unfortunately I'm forced to do because whenever I go to New York, uh, I do try their bagel to see whether or not it has improved. And I constantly find that it hasn't, and you know, well, I compare it to to Montreal bagel, and in a negative kind of way. And right. of course, well, I think it's uh,
2: one of the things is that people get used to eating what they what they have around them. So it's a question of what your palate is used to.
0: But yeah, well, if it's we used to eating a uh, New Yorker, you, come and
2: taste one of the Montreal Fairmount bagels and not say that they absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, in New York, you get a roll with a hole in it, and they call it a bagel. Although, I must say, there have recently been a couple of places that opened in New York that that make a a very reasonable uh, bagel. Now, of course, uh, not all bagels, uh, even in Montreal, are alike. You make the poppy seed bagel, you make the uh, sesame seed, and a bunch of others. Right. Uh, I suspect that the sesame seed bagel is still the most uh, popular
1: sesame seed bagel is the uh, front runner in terms of sales and that's uh, funny that it turned out that way because up until 1952 there was no such thing except for a poppy seed bagel that's what a bagel was right going back right to the 1200s when the baker made this offering for king stanislas and it turned out to be a kind of like a stirrup braided together three bagels braided together in the shape of a stirrup with the little poppy seeds on it. Eventually, they closed the hole to mimic the circle of life, and eventually they stopped braiding them because that was too much trouble, I guess. The baker was in a more of a hurry as time went by. So what we ended up with was a poppy seed bagel, and that's all there was in terms of bagel. Up until 1952, when this gentleman came into the bakery with a little bag of sesame seeds and begged our grandfather to make the bagel for him with the sesame seeds because the poppy seeds got stuck underneath his dentures and it was very painful for him and he couldn't eat the bagel.
0: Oh, so the reason we have sesame seed bagel is because a guy had a problem with his dentures. You
1: got it, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And the word spread and eventually other people were coming in with their little packages of sesame seeds and after several months, my grandfather bought sesame seeds and started making those bagel. And in those days, they were called specials. So if you wanted a regular bagel with poppy seeds, you just asked for bagel. And if you wanted the sesame seed bagel, you asked for a dozen specials.
0: And of course, when antioxidants became popular and blueberries uh, were featured widely as as a healthy food, then all of a sudden, blueberry bagels appeared, right? Right. You need to get those anthocyanidins, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then that was followed by by the all-dressed bagel?
2: Yeah, the dressed is really delicious. It's my favorite. It's got onion and garlic and a little bit of sesame, a little bit of poppy. caraway, A little bit of caraway and salt. seeds. And A little bit of a touch of salt. It's really yeah. good.
0: And what else is there? This whole wheat bagel.
2: This whole wheat bagel, which don't have any eggs for people that don't want to have eggs. It has honey instead of sugar in the dough. And it's organic whole wheat flour with sesame seeds on the
0: bagel. Now, what about toasting versus not toasted bagels?
2: Well, toasting is nice when you take the bagel out of the freezer because you can't microwave a bagel. So if you take a bagel out of the freezer, you can either let it thaw open on the counter, which wouldn't take too long, maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes.
1: And it'll be great. And
2: it'll be great just like when you froze it. Or if you want to have it instantly, you slice it before you put it in the freezer and then you take it out of the freezer and you pop it into the toaster.
0: Why why can't you microwave it? What happens? It becomes gummy. Uh-huh. Mmm: Now what about uh, a fresh bagel?: Nothing beats it. Nothing beats it. You don't toast.: You don't toast a fresh to. bagel?:
1: No, I mean, right. really, the, the act of toasting is a way of removing some of the excess moisture from the bread product. So if you're inclined to eat your bread that way more, if you, if you prefer that, then toast it, and it'll be delicious. But if you're not worried about the extra moisture and you don't mind eating, you know, the the dough as it is, then eating a fresh bagel is just great, especially one of ours, you know, because we make just the right level of maturity with the dough before we'll use it. And that will allow for a perfect crust, just the right amount of air holes inside the dough. Just, amount, just the right amount of dough. So when you eat one of our bagel, or two, or three, or four, as many people do, in the car on their way home, I'm sure you know about that, Dr. Joe. Oh,
0: I know, but that's why my <laughs> car is full of sesame seeds. Right, you know,
1: and then still, the next morning or even later that night, you're still going to be looking for something else to eat, and you're not going to feel totally stuffed and heavy with our bagel. I challenge anyone to eat bagel at other bakeries. Nothing on them, straight out of the bakery, Eat one, two, three, and then see how you feel afterwards. I bet you you'll feel better with our bagel.
0: Okay, there's a number of questions that come up that I want to discuss with you uh, about what you put on the bagel and uh, about baking it and the story of of, uh, the smoke emerging from the uh, wood oven, uh, which is some controversy. So I want to talk about that, uh, but we've got to take a break. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. I'm talking to Erwin and Rhonda Schlothman, and they run the bagel bakery called Fairmont Bakery here in Montreal. And uh, it is, as I said before, the center of the world as far as bagels go. So we've established what bagels are—that that, that is special kind of dough and boiled in water that has honey added to it, and then they are baked in a uh, an oven fueled by wood. Okay, we've made the bagel. We sliced it in half. What do we put on it? Anything.
2: Wow.
0: Butter. Here's, here's
2: what you can put. Or
0: cream it. cheese.
2: You can put butter. Right? You can put cream cheese. You can put peanut butter in cream cheese. You can put cream cheese in jam. You
1: can put peanut butter in bananas. Yeah. Or right. you can
2: put it in a skillet and slice it open, open face. You can drop an egg in the middle of the hole of the bagel and you can let it fry, which is a delicious breakfast.
1: Especially with a cinnamon raisin bagel, then after you get to put some maple syrup on butter on it, on your plate, you know, that's an amazing treat.
0: But you do not put just jam on a bagel.
2: Butter and jam.
0: Butter and jam will do. But not Yeah, but not just jam.
2: My daughter yeah. eats only jam. Really? Yeah. yeah there you go.
0: My oh, Something wrong jam. with the genetics there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. okay. How far and wide are your uh, products sold?
1: Well, people call us from all kinds of places, and uh, if they're if they're okay to pay the shipping costs for overnight shipping because that's the only way it really pays to ship a bagel right you know you want to get them within twenty four hours and then you can freeze them and they'll come out great or you can eat them and they're still fine uh so we'll ship them anywhere we've we've shipped uh all over the states
0: uh we shipped to japan once um, do you do you add any preservative to the flour no no okay no. now now the there are several issues that arise with uh eating bagel. One is the poppy seed, because, of course, uh, poppy seeds contain a very, very small amount of opiates. And there have been cases where people have overindulged, although I've not heard of it done with poppy seed bagel, but with poppy seed muffins and other poppy seed products, where uh, they had a positive test for opiates in in the urine.
1: Yeah, you better not do that if you're an athlete about (laughs) to compete in the Olympics.
0: Exactly. So have you ever had anything like that with your poppy seed bagel?
1: You mean, have we heard about anyone who needed to do a blood test and after eating a poppy seed bagel, it it was implied that there were opiates in their system? Right. No, we we never heard about anything like that personally. But, you know, as we're both discussing it, we've both read about it and we both know it is a factor.
0: Okay. Now to the controversy that, that, you know, has been brewing here in Montreal. And that is the city is going to likely outlaw wood burning ovens. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, the secret, one of the secrets behind Bagel has been the smoke from the wood. So what are you guys doing and how are you handling this So we've already
2: done it. We have an emission system that we've created with um,
0: the help of an engineer that's
2: been
1: working specifically with us for that purpose.
2: And now we're not polluting anymore. We're completely green and all of the fumes that you see coming out of our chimney stack are actually clear-coloured. They're not polluting the environment anymore, so we can actually say that right. we're a green bakery now.
0: Now, is that going to satisfy the, uh, the law?
2: Well, we have a special permit that gives us permission to operate as long as we are respecting
1: the norms, the norms you know, that mm-hmm. the city has, has decided should be in place, which is what their mandate was uh, when they started to Im- you know, impose this bylaw several years ago and uh, working very closely with them. And making improvements on an ongoing basis until we finally came to the point where we have an operational, uh, efficient, proper emissions system.
0: So, what wood do you use? Oh,
1: regular you know, wood, regular reg, firewood. Reg, regular firewood, you know.
0: Yeah, but does it matter what what kind of wood for the flavor of the, uh, of of the bagel? No. no it, so it's, you just buy the ordinary firewood.
1: Just buy clean, buy natural. You
0: know, okay. Treat. Now let's get down to the uh, the issue of Fairmont versus Saint-Viateur. Oh <laughs> All right. Oh well, let let me let me fill in our worldwide listeners on this. Okay. Uh, we have uh, two. I, I think I would say rival uh, bagel bakeries here in Montreal, each of which has its own adherents. And I've, I'll be honest with you, I've, uh, I've tried the two. I don't find a real significant difference. Do, do you honestly find a big difference?
1: Are you asking us? If
0: we yes, I'm it? asking you. I'm asking oh. you to be honest to see how, how do you judge the competitor?
1: Well, you know, we make sure that we keep doing here what it is our father taught us, and what it is that he taught us is what our grandfather taught him. So we know that we haven't, uh, you know, gone off track in terms of the, the, the methods of production. Yeah, we haven't changed anything with regard to the methods of production that we use, which are the same methods that our grandfather used. So pretty much if you come in here or if you brought your, your elderly uh, parent in here that was buying bagel from our grandfather in the 20s or 30s or 40s, uh, they would be biting into pretty much the same bagel that they're, you know, that they would have way back then. As far as what the competition or the, you know, our, the people on the St. Viator are, are making, you know, like they, they make a fine product and, uh, you know, we we just look at what we do.
0: But do you we think that they do sure anything do. anything significantly different?
2: I think it's just up to the palate. You know, some people tell us that ours tastes different right. than theirs. Some people tell us that they might find ours a little bit sweeter, or maybe ours is a little bit more crispy. Right. It really depends on what the public likes, what they enjoy eating. Right. Is, yeah, individual. I think
0: the only thing that is not controversial is that Montreal bagels are better than bagels anywhere else. Hundred no, percent. Okay. Sure. Now, now, you know, there's a story also that it's the water. Uh, do you buy into that argument that, that it's Montreal city water that that? Uh, Makes. I definitely
2: buy into it, just like when you when we go to New York or we go to California and we take a shower, the water feels different even just on our skin when we wash our hair, so I would imagine you know it feels different and it and it it affects the dough differently because it's it's different water
0: now what has happened to the price of the bagel since you guys uh took over the the business
1: well it's kind of followed inflation like everything else has you know i mean I remember. Hearing my dad talk about the bagels being 12 cents a dozen in the late 1950s, I think the bagel were actually a nickel a dozen in the 20s. You know, and I remember when we first started here, uh, when Rhonda and I joined, uh, the bagel were around uh, $2 a dozen, and that was 40 years ago.
0: Yeah, what I remember, I remember buying a bagel for five cents. I, I remember that that, so that. that
1: would have been 60 cents a dozen. So, yeah. You know, you're talking early 1960s probably? Yes,
0: 1960s is when I uh, started eating bagels. And actually, you know, when I first started to, to do the radio show and I, whenever I mentioned bagel, the chairman of our chemistry department, Leo Yaffe, would call me up after and tell me, you know, there's no such thing as bagels. That the plural of bagel is bagel
2: yeah, that's right. 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 That's correct.
0: So I used to be chastised all the time for saying that uh, I'm eating bagels. <laughs> <laughs> good thing so you didn't
2: say it to my late mother.
0: <laughs> that's right. She was big
1: on that. She would have yeah. corrected you right away.
0: Yeah, I, I, I said many things to your late mother because she was she was a font of questions. I I, I must say that. Okay, well, uh, good luck with another hundred years. Thank you. Right, Thank you. and uh, we'll keep promoting uh, this uh, Montreal specialty you know, around the world, uh, because uh, it's worth it. Yeah. Everyone should have a taste of bagel. Yes. And I can tell you that this talk now has made me so bagel hungry that uh, when I finish this show, I'm going to jump into the car and guess where I'm coming. Well, Fairmont bagel. <laughs> Fairmont bagel. <laughs> okay, guys. Thank you, John. Thanks Thank very you. much Thank you. and good luck. Lovely talking to you. Nice Bye. Time. Your
1: source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800.
0: I'm sure many of you heard the story of the unfortunate lady in Sacramento in uh, in California who is now hospitalized after using a facial cream that was tainted with mercury. This story has been all over the media. It has been all over TV and deservedly show so because uh, it is uh, certainly an unusual story but there may be other people who are going to be affected uh, by it. So here is the story. This lady, 47 years old, uh, I think she has five children, bought a cream that originated in Mexico, and it was a Ponce product. When it was purchased in Mexico, uh, it was purchased from a, a regular pharmacy, regular distributor, and there was no mercury in it. What happened was that someone mixed some mercury compound into the cream. Why did they do this? Because mercury compounds can in fact lighten the skin and they also have a mild anti-wrinkle effect. It is not legal in Canada or United States to have any mercury in any kind of cosmetic. So apparently what someone did, or perhaps more people are doing in Mexico, is buying legitimate creams off the shelf and then adulterating it with mercury, importing it into the U.S. and selling it as a special skin lightener and wrinkle remover. This lady knew that she was buying this, quote, special product, but it had been working for her. Her skin was looking better and she'd been using it for months until... One day, she started to have a tingling sensation in her hands and in her feet. Her speech became slurred and she had trouble walking. She went to the emergency room. They had a hard time figuring out what was going on. It first, it looked like she was having a stroke, but that was not the case. Eventually, they did blood tests and discovered that there was mercury in her blood at an astounding level. And surprisingly, the form of mercury was methylmercury, and that is the most toxic form of the compound. So she had built up methylmercury in her system, and uh, this eventually went into her brain and caused all of the symptoms. She's there in a hospital now in a coma. There are some unusual features to this story. I'm not sure exactly how this would have happened Methylmercury is not something that is readily available. It is uh, a very, very toxic form of the compound. Certainly, there are mercury-containing creams that are sold in Africa, in in the Caribbean. Uh, Those are mostly made with mercury chloride or mercury sulfide. Toxic enough, but not nearly as toxic as methylmercury. Methylmercury is what forms when bacteria act on other forms of mercury. In fact, this is what happened uh, in the classic case in Minamata in Japan. Now, that takes us back um, uh, many years, and it's a fascinating story. Uh, It was linked to what was at first called cat-dancing disease, because cats were the first ones that were affected in, in Minamata in Japan because, of course, they ate fish and the fish had become contaminated because there was a factory that was using mercury um, in, a, in a process when they were producing uh, 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 material that was to be used in the formulation of, of plastics, and some of the mercury was released into the water. But nobody thought that this would be a problem because metallic mercury, the shiny metallic form, is not all that toxic. But it turned out that there were microbes in the water that converted the mercury into methylmercury, that was absorbed by the fish. And the cats ate the fish, and uh, they had neurological symptoms, and then eventually people also developed these uh, symptoms because they were also eating fish. That was the first time that there was large-scale poisoning because of methylmercury. Today, we also worry about methylmercury because it is found in fish, And uh, especially during pregnancy, if women eat fish, especially the predator fish like sharks and and, uh, swordfish, which eat smaller fish, there can be enough mercury in in the system to harm uh, the embryo. This is why women during pregnancy are counseled to stay away from the very large uh, predator fish. There's a very tragic story about a chemistry professor who was exposed to... uh, Methylmercury, Karen Wetterhahn, was a professor of chemistry at Dartmouth uh, a College in the US. And she was doing some research with Methylmercury, having taken all of the proper precautions. She was wearing gloves as one should, she was working in a fume hood, but somehow she got a drop of this Methylmercury on the glove, and enough of it seeped through the glove. There were no symptoms for several months but eventually she began to show exactly the same kind of symptoms as the lady in sacramento and unfortunately there was no antidote to this and uh, karen wetterhan ended up uh, dying it was a, an absolutely uh, tragic story so uh, it's an important uh, uh, little episode to talk about here although Right now, it seems that we're looking at this one single case, but I I can't imagine that she's the only one who has ever used such a product. I suspect that this business of of buying uh, creams in in Mexico and somehow uh, adulterating them with mercury in Mexico and then importing them into the U.S., I haven't heard of it coming into Canada... I don't think that this is is uh, you know a lone problem. I, I bet there are many other women who are using this. So the publicity that is given to to this um, uh, little adventure now, I hope, uh, will deter others from using these contaminated products. Now they are sold with the, the knowledge that they have been altered. So people are not buying thing, this thinking that it is ordinary pond screen. Unfortunately, because all of the stories on the internet uh, have featured a picture of pond scream, people who don't read the, the whole story may think that, that you know it's a just ordinary pond scream that is responsible for the toxic reaction, which of course is, is not the case. Well, that's it guys, we have run out of time. But I know you learned something about bagel uh, here this afternoon. And I've also alerted you to the ins and outs of this um, terrible story about uh, methylmercury contamination in in a tainted um, uh, face cream. We'll be back with you, same time, same station, next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping that all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.